0: Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when the fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning that we get to gather here. Thank you for um, this time of admin when we uh, remind ourselves um, of you coming. Um, We thank you for sending Jesus um, so many years ago um, to die for our sins. And Jesus, we just long for your return again, Lord. We love you. I pray that this morning would keep us free from distractions and that we would just learn more about you and your character and that we'd fall um, in love with you more. Lord, um, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: <clears throat> you guys can be seated. Love that hymn. Uh, happy December. Uh, glad you guys are here. Um, excited to be worshiping this with you guys this morning. Uh, like I just said, I, I love that hymn. Isn't Jesus the best? Mm. Uh, I, I actually—it's kind of funny. I just actually had an opportunity to kind of be reminded of my need for Him and to find my uh, my hope in Christ. So, if you guys don't know me, like I, I there's like many things I kind of pride myself on, and one of those is like I have an uncanny like ability to like connect with little kids. And, you know, Jackie jokes around. She's like, yeah, that's because you're on the same maturity level as them. And so th- you get along well because you guys are connected with one another. So, but anyway, so, like, here I am outside. I'm having fun. All you guys are like, hi, Kevin. Everyone's giving me a hug when you come in or saying hi to me. Or if you don't even know me, you're kind of like, you're kind of weird. Why are you saying hi to me? Right? But you guys are, are coming in and saying hi to me. So I'm, like, feeling, like, really good. I'm pumped back there. You know, my ego's being stroked. And some of you guys know Pastor Derek's little boy, trip. So he's, like, recently become potty trained or, like, close. and like so, I was, yeah. You guys have no idea as a parent how exciting that is so Josiah is failing miserably by the way uh, so anyway <laughs> back there I see trip I'm like hey buddy how you doing I heard you're going to the bathroom great job and I put my hand out for a high-five I kid you not this kid looks at me and goes <laughs> shot down by a two-year-old this morning so uh, seeking to be satisfied in Christ this morning, and not my ability to connect with little kids. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, just a fun little story for you guys. Uh, but I, in, in all seriousness, I'm really excited. Uh, I love this time of year. Uh, some of my fondest memories as a kid growing up are from time, good, good and bad, um, and, and you yeah, that's part of growing up. I think one of the things that's so exciting about this kind of season that we're entering into, you know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and, and we're we're heading into the Christmas season, depending on how, you know, y- you grew up and what that meant for you. Um, the traditions of the holidays, you know, tend to create a lot of, like, fun family moments. Uh, they tend to create a lot of memories that you'll have over the course of, of your life. Um, you know, some of my favorite early Family moments growing up with my own family are centered around those traditions that we had growing up as kids and things that my parents did with us. And one of those one of those traditions is um, I, I grew up in Virginia, and part of part of what we would do every year is we'd go out in the freezing cold usually with snow on the ground or at least like the ground itself was frozen. And we would do this really strange thing where we'd go around and we'd pick a tree out from a Christmas tree farm, which was basically just a field full of evergreen trees. And we would go and we would cut one down and then we'd bring it home. I think you guys in Florida don't really have that. You kind of just go to like a store that like ships them in, kind of like your pumpkin patches that you guys have here uh, in October. And so anyway, we, w- we would go out, right, and then we would take, we would get the tree and then we'd bring it back to our house and we'd decorate it. And by the way, have you guys ever noticed like how strange our traditions are. Like it was a Jim Gaffigan jokes that like it's like the kind of the the work of a drunk man to bring a tree inside the house that you've cut down and then decorate it with lights and ornaments. And yet we do that as a tradition every year. And so my family did this every year for gosh probably at least 15 years. And I remember one year when I was young we picked out a tree and then we tied it to the top of our old white van. Uh, and, and when we got home uh, my uncle and my, my dad ran into a problem trying to get the tree into the house, mainly because it didn't fit into the house because they got a tree that was too large. And now, as a small disclaimer for this story, um, Anderson men have a bit of a reputation uh, for having a temper. And so the holiday cheer was just oozing out of my father as he's taking this tree into the house. And so my mom, who's a lot like my own wife, you know seeks to keep everything at a nice cool rational level of emotions at least in these moments right kind of swoops in and tries to save the day and and really tries to prevent my childhood from 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 forever being scarred around Christmas time along with my sisters and you know she's like you know it's okay we can like you do something different we go get another tree or we can get a plastic tree and my dad in his fit of rage looks at my mom and yells we've had a live tree every year Since I was a kid and it's not changing now, either this tree fits through this doorway or this doorway gets widened but this tree is coming in the house. My uncle is hysterically laughing on the steps of our house now at this point because my dad looks absolutely gross. Me, the tree made it in, by the way. The bottom parts of it got cut off, but the tree did make it in, and my mom cleaned up afterwards. But this is how crazy kind of we can t- tend to be about traditions, and yet they, traditions do good things for us. Right? Even that memory, which is kind of like this funny family moment, Reminds me of how excited I was every year at Christmas time to be spending time with my extended family with my with my parents and just kind of that joy of getting to relax and enjoy family and so we're starting a new series this morning and we'll be in it the entire month of December as you guys know we've been going through the book of Romans uh, throughout the fall but we're going to be kind of shifting gears a little bit. And the the series that we're starting, we've titled Advent. Some of you guys grew up in traditions where you know what Advent is already and you know what we're talking about. But Advent is really rooted in tradition for the church, uh, for, for, for years and years and years. And it's not, tradition is not something that I would say we as a church here are known for. <laughs> like we don't really have traditions. It's not something we do. But my hope is that this might be something that we, we start doing every year as a church family to kind of celebrate right, everything that this season represents for us. And so Advent, simply put, is the season leading up to Christmas Day. And the purpose of the season in church history was that the church would spend time during the month of December reflecting on this truth. They would kind of sit back and they would reflect that there was a time for thousands of years in human history where God's people, those that truly knew God and loved him, longed for the coming salvation that had been promised to them by God. Right, if you will throw 1 Peter chapter 1 up there for me, um, I, I want to share this with you. This is Peter writing to the churches that he kind of pastored, trying to kind of give them this understanding of where they were at this point in human history after Christ's arrival. Right. Look at what he says, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, that means the gospel, knowing what Jesus Christ has done for them as a church— the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have been announced. "...that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." So, so here's what Peter is saying. For thousands and thousands of years, God's people longed for salvation— they longed to be saved from their sin they longed to more fully know what god was going to do for them and even those that had been given prophecy men like jeremiah right ezekiel isaiah obadiah right men of 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 great prophecy that their words have even been recorded in scripture and now are preserved thousands of years later that these men who had prophecy revealed were simply waiting and longing for the day that Jesus would arrive. And so, Advent means literally coming. And for the church historically, this is kind of meant that the church would observe kind of two things during this season. The first thing that they would kind of observe together as a covenant family of believers and followers of Christ is that they would spend this season focused on creating an environment where there would be a greater worship of Jesus Christ for having fulfilled the promises of God for our salvation. That... I know some of you guys are really excited about spending time with your family in the coming weeks and you're excited about getting your new iPod or whatever it is. You, do people even have iPods anymore? Or are they all iPhones? Do They even exist? Team Android. Um, but no, no matter what, right, whether you long for that certain gift or simply not to be in school or a break from, from work or whatever you may be doing, that as a church right, we might sit down and spend this season reflecting and thankful for what God has accomplished for us already in Christ. But then secondly, that we as a church body might also look forward to the second coming of Jesus and the promises that God has given us in that. That we, like Israel, look forward to a future promise of God, and that is Christ's return to finally, once and for all, set everything right and reconcile all things to himself so over the course of the next several weeks at least during our sermons what we'll seek to do is we'll look at a different passage each week and we'll attempt to do those two things will attempt to stir up in our own hearts a greater worship for what God has done and a greater worship of what God will do in the future. And so our text this morning is from Isaiah 64. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn over there. Uh, Allie read the passage to us already, but we're going to kind of be working through that and diving through that this morning. But as as you're heading over there and as you're flipping over there, I want you to kind of pause and reflect for a second and imagine for a second that you find yourself in the same time period as the prophet Isaiah the nation you live in is a complete disaster it's run by bad kings poor leadership within the temple and most importantly they are completely estranged from god at this point as a as a as god's covenant people as a as a nation that they no longer seek him they no longer desire his presence and if you're Isaiah, right, and you're living in the midst of this, this season as a, as a man faithful who loves God and, and really in reality is doing exactly what we're talking about, longing for salvation to come from God, God is giving you these visions for what is going to happen down the road and you're recording them. That's what the book of Isaiah is. It's the visions God is giving Isaiah for what is going to happen to the nation of Israel both in the temporal sense, that's right then and there as Isaiah is alive or soon thereafter, and then in the long-term sense for God's people in general, which includes us. And some of it's hopeful and some of it's scary. And as we get to chapter four, we see, in my opinion, this beautiful moment of clarity for Isaiah where he is brutally honest with himself and god because he's really in reality this this section is is a prayer and a cry out to god in many ways where he is perfectly honest about his current situation in israel's and he's perfectly honest with the lord about what he needs and what israel needs and so i would submit that before we dive too far into the text this morning that the same thing is going to be important for us because this season clouds our judgment this season clouds our clarity for what we're focused on. You know, more than half of you guys in this room are petrified about exams in a week, which is why you're all here this morning. You think that God is in some way going to honor you coming to church this morning and maybe give you an A when you were going to get a B plus for, on, on just your own ability. That'd work that way, by the way, right? That, that, that you're scared entering exams. Some of you guys are petrified to spend time with your family over the holidays because they drive you crazy, The rest of you guys are really excited to spend time with your family. You're excited about what gifts you might get during the season. Or you know you may be going home to nothing because this season has been especially hard. A quick look around the landscape of the world will tell us multiple things, right? Natural disasters, political turmoil. For you Gator football fans, a football program that may or may not ever win again. And yet not just in a corporate sense across this country, but maybe personally has 2017 been a year where you have thrived or do you feel as if you're barely hanging on? Some of us are coming to church this morning and we may have been struggling and having a real battle of inner turmoil. We may have been questioning whether we even should be at church this morning. We might feel like Isaiah did all the way back in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 where he's faced with the presence of God. He cries out that he's unworthy. He cries out that he's a man of unclean lips. and He's petrified to even be in the very presence of God. And for some of us, we've had such a a run here personally that that even being at church scares us because it's like, I can't can't be in that environment right now. I'm, I'm, I'm jacked up. Right? Things, are, things are going haywire. And the text this morning is an invitation to see our current situation, repent, and then behold the majesty of God the way that Isaiah does and to beg for him to move on our behalf, to request God's presence in our lives. The thing that we need far more than anything else. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. The first thing we notice Isaiah kind of crying out for is that Isaiah longs for one thing in the midst of the personal and national turmoil that he finds himself in, the presence of God to be made manifest before him and before Israel. Right, at a time of unrest and transition, he longs for God's presence. And look at look at how he knows God's presence to, to manifest itself, right? It says in verse one that mountains quake. Right? Verse two, he says that fire kindles brushwood, meaning that that nothing, that out of nothing, that simple brushwood, that God would ignite a fire there and it would be seen by all. And he says in in verse two, in the second half of that verse, that the nations who don't even know God tremble at his presence. Right? Isaiah understands this, that the the presence of God, when manifested, is powerful. Do, Do you and I believe that? Or have we reduced God down to simple intellectual knowledge that we might be able to memorize and then spit back out as theology? Do we remind ourselves of the magnitude that is the God of the Bible that we may even this morning claim to worship? Guys, God's power spoke all things into existence. The universe, the seasons, the rotation of the earth on its axis, gravity, the tides, seasons, none of that existed before God spoke it into being. If we understand further, right, the flood, the sheer power of what God did as he hit the reset button in human history... In the Exodus, right, the, the power of God was made manifest in a pillar of fire and smoke as he led a small group of slave refugees out of the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And he himself, right, protected them as he led them out and then parted the Red Sea so they might safely get out of Egypt, that the power of God and this is what Isaiah's fully kind of resting on as he talks about the mountains quaking as God met Moses on Mount Sinai the earth shook around the mountains because this is the the type of power our God holds he's not some weak incapable deity that has a beard and kind of strokes it every once in a while I don't really know where we got that imagery from. Maybe Michelangelo with the the angels with wings playing the harp on the clouds. But the God of the Bible is one of immense, infinite power. And that Isaiah stands there and he longs for that power and that presence to be manifested again in him and amongst the people of God, that in the midst of their rejection and the rebellion of him and his rightful place as king of Israel, he longs for God's presence. And the question we might ask ourselves is, is why does Isaiah desire that presence so strongly? Because Isaiah recognizes this truth. Right, look at verse 2 with me. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Here's what Isaiah recognizes. That God's presence and intervention always creates Transformation. His very presence will cause the nations and his adversaries to tremble at his presence. You have people surrounding Israel at this point constantly at war with them. And Israel fears their military might. And yet Isaiah stares that down and says that if God were to intervene and to move, that those nations would fear and tremble at his presence. That God's presence transforms enemies into worshipers. Right? Do you see that? That God's enemies and adversaries quake at his presence. That is a, a, a sign of worship. That God's intervention leads Change. And it may not always be the way we believe, right? It may not be our 2017 evangelical version of worship, but even Pharaoh worshiped God because of his rebellion, and God made much of his presence and his power even in the midst of Pharaoh's rebellion. And that God, even in the midst of Israel's enemies, would cause them to to quake and tremble at his name. God's presence does this. It makes a gospel difference every time. And what I mean by that is the presence of God is fully made manifest in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And every time God's presence shows up, people's hearts are changed and people worship. Have you ever thought, think upon your own testimony You went from an enemy of God to a worshiper of God. You went from an enemy and an adversary of the God of the universe to one who was invited into his family to worship, know, and love him. That is what God's presence does. And I love Isaiah here, right, because he's not holding anything back. Right? He doesn't just ask for God's presence. He asks for God's presence with no restraint involved at all. Make the mountains quake, God. Kindle fire. Cause your enemies to tremble in fear at your presence. Guys, if we want God, and many of us will throw that word out kind of just haphazardly. I need more of God. I need more of Jesus. But if we want God, we need to accept that this will happen on his terms and that we will be overwhelmed by his presence. And if we continue to kind of follow that logic and that path of what Isaiah says happens in the presence of God, right, when you get to verses four and five, look at what he says. God's power is not just magnificent, but it's also personal. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. That God acts on your behalf. Do you, do you see that? Right? It, it, You know, there's a common phrase that gets thrown around in the evangelical world, right? God helps those who help themselves. It's unbiblical, right? Even Isaiah, right, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, is saying that God's presence acts for those who aren't helping themselves, but what? Wait for Him that they have an abiding trust in God's ability to act and he would act. And not only does God's presence act on behalf of those who wait, but then look at what he says in verse five. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. That God meets the one who seeks him. If we truly understand the presence of God unrestrained, we will begin to understand all that God has accomplished for you and I in Christ. The power and the magnitude of the God in the, of the entire universe putting on human flesh, the act of submission that Christ went through, And you guys are like, wait a minute, you're talking about power and you're saying submission. The ultimate form of of displaying your power is being willing to lay that power down for a greater good. And Christ, in his submission to the Father's perfect will, lays that down and puts on flesh. And then the works that Christ did throughout his ministry, right? The, The miracles and the power he displayed ultimately being culminated at the cross where God's full power was revealed as sin and death were finally put to an end. That's what God's presence brought. The end of sin and death for those who are in Jesus. The impact of God's presence creates in his people and in his church a movement of expansion for the gospel and Christ's kingdom. So the the first thing that that we're kind of invited into if we kind of understand what Isaiah is saying here as we enter into the season of Advent is we need to desire, and if we don't desire it, we need to ask of God that we would desire it. Simply the presence of God. We don't need to know more theology. We don't need to, to do a better job of fighting against certain sins or be a better Christian in a certain way. We... Need God. So much of that language of what I just said right before then—I need to be a better Christian. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to do these things. Those are the exact opposite of what you need, and do you know why? Because all of those things reek of self-reliance. And some of you guys are going to walk out of here today, so I need to pause right and say, you know, my pastor is telling me not to read my Bible. You know, he's saying that I don't need to come to church or I don't need to be praying. Not what I'm saying. But if your focus is on those things and not desiring God's presence and action in your life, you will have created for yourself a man-made, man-made self-centered religion that is devoid of power and hope. And Isaiah says, look, I, I don't need the law. He doesn't cry out and say, God, return, return us to your precepts. Right, make us better right, in our knowledge of the law that you gave on Mount Sinai. He even reflects on when the law was given and what does he reflect on? The presence of God being manifested before God's people. Now, if we understand the power of the presence of God, how might we be encouraged to respond to that? Right, look at what Isaiah teaches us In the remaining verses. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Right, the first kind of invitation as we seek God's presence that Isaiah recognizes, he's like, look, you know, I, 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 we need God. I, I need his presence. I need, I need his presence in my life to create a movement. And the first thing that that creates in him as he seeks the presence of God is to recognize his own sinfulness and to repent. He says, we sinned, and not just once, but consistently, Right, you see that in verse 5. Right, Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. Shall we be saved? He's kind of asking a rhetorical question there. We sinned, and not just once, God, we continuously rebelled against you. We continually pushed back and said, no, we don't want you. We can do this on our own. And he says our, that their sinfulness right, led to them being unclean. Right? Then in in verse 6, he says their sinfulness is like a minstrel rag. Kind of gross. Then when he moves on, right, he gets to verse 7, he says that their sinfulness has led them to a place where as a people and even he himself don't even ask for the presence of God, and so God has hidden himself from them. Right? It's like we learned back in Romans chapter 1 that how, how can you know that the wrath of God is poured out on you now? Because right? it's not like it was in, in Genesis where God just might destroy Sodom or Gomorrah. That, that God's wrath is pointed towards us where he turns us over to our sin and we no longer desire to put it to death. That is where Israel is at. That is where Isaiah says that he is at. That we don't even ask for your presence and so you've hidden yourself from us and we are without restraint. And if we seek the presence of God the way that Isaiah does, there will be a recognition of our condition and it will bring us to a proper understanding of our need for God. If you you recognize the weight of your own sinfulness, you will then recognize how desperately you are in need of God. There are very few people in here this morning, I would would be willing to to bet, that don't try to grow in their relationship with God. We all have personal disciplines and things we seek after. There's very few of us that, that put no effort in at all. But without a recognition of our condition our own sinfulness, and our need for God to move our lives will never be transformed. After being involved in the church now for almost 12 years, there's no such thing as a a rhythm or a consistent thing when being in ministry, right? I've seen so many different things. I've seen God do so many different things. But, But here is the one constant I have seen over and over and over again. Those that are experiencing the presence of God, whether they've gone from an unbeliever to a believer or they were a believer who is seeing anew the presence of God in their lives, they have one thing in common. The Lord has revealed the full weight of their sinfulness to them and it has pressed them into a deeper reliance and desire for his presence, not a desire to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps and be better. Every single person that I have, ex- I have seen experience the glories of what Isaiah is talking about here with God's presence is rooted in repentance and reliance, not their own work. And so Isaiah starts by repenting and confessing and yet, he also ends this prayer and this cry to God with great hope. Right? He asks and believes on God to do three things. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. I, I, I love, right, some of us don't understand the imagery of what, what Isaiah is getting at there. Right? But he, he's basically saying, God, we are sinful and broken and can't fix it, right? And he uses the example of pottery, How many of you guys have taken pottery classes? No, no one in here. Okay, like three of you. Thank you. For the four, like the four of you that raised your hand, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Once you kind of make the pottery and you mold it and then it hardens, right? It breaks if you try to do anything different to it. Right? But as long as it's kind of sitting on that, that, that thing that spins, I don't even know what that thing's called. Maybe it just goes, and you're doing all these things, and you're molding it. Right? God can do whatever he wants with it. Well, here's the beautiful thing about the imagery that Isaiah is sharing here. If you've ever done pottery, does the clay ever form itself? No. Right? If you were just to set the clay down and just sit it there, it would just sit there. That is the imagery that Isaiah is using to describe you and I. That apart from God's presence, you and I are like clay just sitting there. There's nothing, there's nothing to be done. And yet he has great hope because he says, God the Father is the potter. And that we are all the work of his hands. Isaiah is using language that Paul would later use in his letters to the churches that we are all in slavery to our sin and yet the potter can remold us because when God rescues, he rescues us out of our slavery to sin and remolds us into new vessels for his glory. That, That is what the God of the Bible does. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, if the presence of God were to move in you, he would remold you as a potter might remold pottery. This, This means that no matter what your proclivity to sin is or what your addictions are, that God, if he moves with his presence in your life, will bring new desires and put sin to death. And then he goes on to say that as God does that with his presence in our lives that we can continuously be reminded and ask of him to not remember our iniquity so that we might bask in his forgiveness and that we might look on him so that he might look on us. That we would long for him to move. Isaiah's Invitation and prayer here reminds those of us that know the presence of God and have experienced it. It reminds us that we know God's power. We've seen it. We've experienced it. That if we repent, God changes. And that we don't live in fear in the future, even in the midst of staring at our own sinfulness, because we know God is the potter, and he's in the business of remolding broken vessels, passing over sin, and dwelling among us. This is our God. God. So much of the language that we see Isaiah using here, if you know anything about Jesus Christ, you can sit there and just rejoice because you're like, this is what, God has heard this cry and acted. Right, as Isaiah cries out for God to move and act, he does. All that Isaiah longed and hoped for was fully manifested when Jesus Christ was born. Miracles happen. God dwelt among us. He boldly rebukes sin. And then at the cross, he fixes broken vessels and passes over sin and dwells among us. The very cries of Isaiah are fully realized and answered in Jesus. Isaiah's words here are a prayer. A prayer to reorient ourselves to God's presence, both personally and as a church. So here's my kind of call for action for us this morning. In the midst of distractions, everyone in here has them. Some of them might be weightier than others, but everyone in here has distractions going on right now. In reality, that's the promise of life. But if you're a follower of God, you're promised a few things. Persecution, suffering experiencing sadness and death at times, and yet we look forward to a greater hope of the coming of Christ who will set all those things perfectly again in his second coming. But for now, how do we respond? In a moment, we're gonna do what we do every Sunday here, and that's take communion. Right, and as I, got, as I remind you, try to remind you guys every week that communion, right, is an opportunity for us to worship God. It's where we come up and we take the bread and we take the grape juice and we remember and we are thankful to Jesus for rescuing us from our sin, that he has delivered us from our slavery to sin in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that for those that are in Christ, when you come up and take communion, you don't need to take it shamefully because of your sinfulness. You can come up and take it rejoicing in what God has done for you. And as you worship him, you make much of him. Which is the entire point of God making his presence manifested in the first place. And so if you're a Christian, I would ask you to pray and then come up and you would take communion. That you would repent of sin. That you would rejoice that God has already declared you righteous. And then I would invite you to do this. We're going to have a few people standing in the back during the communion time this morning. And if, and if you need prayer this morning, they will pray with you. Or if you want to, to simply pray in your seat. But I would invite you to do this. That you would sit, you would reflect on Isaiah's words this morning. And you would call out to God and long for his presence no matter where you are. Whether you're in here this morning you are in a season where you are experiencing the joy and mercies of God new and fresh each day that you would rejoice in that and ask him to continue to move in that way. If you're in here this morning and you're about as dry as it gets that you like Isaiah would sit and call out to God that you would confess and repent of sin that you would hopefully and joyfully expect God to move the way that Isaiah did because he will. The way that Isaiah longed and cried out for God to move. We know that he has in Christ and promises to do so for us. Christmas is a season where we traditionally reflect May this tradition help us to reflect on the magnitude and grandeur of Jesus Christ and all that he's done because he is so worthy. Reflect on the presence of God given to us in Jesus. God saved us, he changes us, he rescues us, and he will fully, as he has promised, redeem us on the day of Christ Jesus. May we worship him alone, church, and long for his presence because only there will we be fully satisfied. Let's pray. For those that are gonna pray with others in the back, if you would go and head head there now, I appreciate you guys doing that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, very few of us can say that we are in a time of desperation as deep as what Isaiah is in in this moment as he writes this out. And yet, some of us may be. And yet we come and we read and we search your word and we find great hope. But Lord, we find that hope From your word, not in ourselves, but in Jesus. Father, reveal to us the magnitude of our sinfulness. Reveal to us where we seek out the things of this world and seek to worship them instead of you. Father, reveal to us that we hide away from your presence. And God, I beg of you to move. I beg that your presence would come down on us so that we might fully experience the power that has been given to us in Christ. The power to rejoice and to experience peace that goes beyond all understanding. The power of knowing fully that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. To know that our slavery that once separated us because of our sin has now been taken on by Christ and we are now adopted. And that if you simply move God, mountains quake, fires burn, and nations tremble at your presence. Lord, we desire you to move so that we as a church might experience your presence and in that presence make much of you to those around us lord thank you for your promises but most importantly thank you that you act and keep those promises in christ thank you for jesus and i ask this all in his name